Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with today's top marketing leaders to talk about what they really do every day. My guest today is Heidi Bullock. All right, Heidi, what is your role? Yeah, so my role currently at Telium is CMO, and I love it. Love it. It's a fun job. What is Telium? Tell people who don't know what Telium is, what does company do? Yeah, so Telium connects data so brands or companies can better connect to their customers. And something that I think everyone listening uh, can relate to is you know, organizations will do better if they really know their customers. And I think that ideally we'd have a personal one-to-one conversation like we're having now, like you would at your corner store. Like my corner store knows, yeah, Heidi loves this kind of wine, which is sad, but true. But we can't do that at a scale of, you know, 20,000, 40,000 people. So Telium really does a great job of collecting the right types of customer data and then really make sure that it can be activated. So companies have one view of the customer. It's not a part of Dave. It's all of Dave. A nice example that I can relate to is, you know, when you buy something and then the next day you get a discount offer for it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're like, what just happened? I just paid full price. We really help avoid issues like that. Which is a problem in in marketing. Like, how many times do I get a message that's like, hey, our customer team is mad that we sent this email to this segment of customer? You know, that always happens. How do you articulate the company's marketing strategy? So, how long have you been there now? I've been there just about a year. So, you come in over a year ago and you're like, this is what marketing was doing. Here's what marketing is going to do now. How do you talk about the actual strategy of marketing to Telium specifically? First thing that I always look at, and this is for everybody listening, is the product you're selling, like who is the best audience for that? And what I see a lot of marketers do, and you can probably relate to this, they've worked somewhere and then they do a copy paste. They're like, well, this worked at this company, so I'm going to do the same thing over here. And you're like, no, 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 no. You need to make sure that you're really understanding your product price point. So I'll give an example. One of the things I saw was the motion at Telium prior to me joining was, I would say it was very heavy inbound which is fine, but I think a lot of who we sell to are, are larger organizations, heavy B2C, and I think we really needed a lot more of a target account strategy. So we are sales-led. It, we don't have a, a product, I would say, like maybe like a Slack where people just install it and they're off to the races where it's more product-led. So I think one of the things that I did when I came in is really say, let's define our ideal customer profile, and then let's make sure that we're selling into the right accounts because not everyone's a great buyer for Telium. Like my mom is not a good customer, my aunt, my brother, (laughs) versus like some people sell products where my mom is a great customer, but not at Telium. So yeah, this is interesting because like you hit on an important thing, which is like, you basically had to come in and identify like, what is the motion here? So like I'm at Privy we're the opposite of sales led which is like we're product led we have a high velocity free trial model right and so like if you and I are comparing these two jobs the marketing playbook is different and has to evolve and i'm sure for you like this has evolved you know you probably were doing way more inbound back in your like marketo days than you're doing now because you have to evaluate that such an important skill if you want to be a good marketing leader is you have to be able to adapt i love that you hit on that right away that's one thing i really want to emphasize on this podcast i feel like you probably see it all the time too where people really they're at a company where something worked and they literally try the same playbook and it's like nope <laughs> I see it on LinkedIn. You see, oh, oh so-and-so's at this company now. Like, you know what yeah. the playbook is going to be. And I think sometimes you get hired to do that. I think oftentimes more so in like not marketing jobs. But 
Yeah, you can see it. You got to be able to adapt. And I love that. How do you articulate where marketing sits then, right? Because admittedly, right off the bat, you said, oh, this is a sales-led company. Typically, the beef is between marketing and sales over who gets credit for what. Like, How do you then like carve out where marketing fits within that sales-led motion? Like, What's the role? I'm very lucky in that I really get along very well with our CRO, and we believe in really a revenue team. This is something that I talk a lot about. I believe in revenue operations. I believe in a revenue team. If you're in marketing and don't think you're selling, you're in the wrong job (laughs) because we're all really in sales at the end of the day. And I think we have different parts of that process. That's really how I orient. I think of myself as making sure that the company is really focused on the customer, but really that we're all internally very focused on selling. I just work really close with the sales team. I've always been that kind of marketer because I think all of us can think of companies where that's not the case and it it just, you're not winning. (laughs) And at the end of the day, I think in these roles, it's, you have to think outside of just your team. You want the company to do well. And if sales is doing well and you're growing, then we all do well. And I think the goal then is like, you can retire. I think a lot of people need to just step out of the weeds a little bit sometimes and think about what is the greater goal we're striving for and are you helping that happen or are you putting more roadblocks in the way? Yeah. If you're in marketing and don't think you're selling, like, you know, you're lying to yourself or what? I don't know how you've said it, but it's true. So the CRO job is a weird one to me. And I don't know if you feel this way because it's it's weird because the title is CRO, but the other big input in revenue is marketing. And so like marketing is a huge driver in the CRO plan. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah. I think though, that's something that I'm hoping that happens over the next few years or some of these titles are changed. I think this is one thing I've observed, like you see technology changing and evolving and I feel like kind of the process and some of the titles they lag behind, right? Like I think a lot of companies that we're in, you'll see even like marketing operations, sales operations. And you're like, no, like you can't really separate those things. They have to be really together. You end up with a hot mess. So my hope is that that will change over time. I mean, I think we're already seeing it where marketers are now thought of a lot differently than say like 2010. When I first got started in marketing, people are like, hey, where are the cool hats? And it's like, yeah, we actually do more than create hats and cool t-shirts. All those, those are great and we love it. But you know, I really like to think of myself as driving revenue and creating a great story. So, you know, people look at you and they're like, I like that company. I like what they're about. So I hope titles change at some point. I hate the hats thing. And that still is such a sensitive topic to me. Yeah, it like still happens. Somebody said to me the other day, like, oh, can't marketing just write a blog about it? And I was like, oh, yeah, because that's what our job is. Like, oh, yeah, can't marketing just tweet it? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, Um, this is a whole other podcast, but I think, you know, it's funny, like no one goes to an engineer and is like, hey, you know, like you're doing the back end work. Can't you just do the front end too while you're at it and some awesome UI and UX? And in marketing, it's kind of like everyone's a marketer so that everyone has an opinion. It's an interesting job. You have to have a thick skin. (laughs) Right. I think there's a great line in uh, Comedians in Cars with Jerry Seinfeld. He's talking about how like, I think it was him. He's like, everybody has made their friends laugh. And so everybody thinks they could be a stand-up comic. Like you and I have each laughed on this podcast. So it's like, oh, I've done that. I could probably do stand-up. And I think, I actually think that's really similar to marketing and that like everybody writes, everybody communicates, everybody, you know, is involved in content. I think a lot of people just think they do marketing too. I think this is the role though. Like it's revenue and the two inputs are marketing and sales. Well, the third one's probably customers, but like, that's why I think it's weird that like, 
I just get annoyed when marketing, it's a CRO, but marketing is a slice of revenue, a huge piece of that. A huge piece of that. Yeah. But that's up for us to change. I mean, that's kind of one thing that I think a lot about. I don't care the way other companies have done things. It's like we all change. And I think everyone listening to this podcast, like go be a change agent just because you've seen a pattern before, do something different, you know, create that revenue or create a different title. You don't have to do just what we all see at other organizations or on LinkedIn or Twitter. I love that. Just like you have to go in and write the new playbook based on your own experience. You have to go in and feel free to be like, yeah, I don't know. We're going to make this up. Nobody's done it, but I'm going to, I'm going to use the same framework. Okay. So what's the handoff between marketing and sales? You mentioned named accounts. So is it, are you whole ABM strategy? Like what's the actual connection? I would say we have a hybrid because I have some different segments of the sales organization that I support. So we have definitely an inbound motion. So we kind of have a way that we get a sense of, okay, here's some folks in an account. There's a lot of interest. And then we can pass that on to an internal salesperson and kind of the classic inbound motion. But then I would say that for a lot of our larger accounts, we are really taking on an ABM strategy. And and something that I'm really uh, working on putting in place is really what I consider sort of a, a standard up where I have the head of sales, like the RVP for the region, the SDR leader, and then a marketing person. And then we're like, what can we do to help this account either move forward or really uh, gain some traction within that account? So I think that's been working really well for us. So that way, again, we're, it's a team sport. It's a little less of that handoff. Roughly how many named accounts do you have? We have different tiers. It's kind of the classic tiered structure you might see, but we have our our tier one, which is maybe uh, tens of accounts. And then under that, we have really hundreds of accounts. But an RVP at any particular times in our company is probably really focused on 20. And then there's some others that float in and out of that, but we try to be pretty focused there. That makes that stand up interesting. It's not like I'm Dave, I'm the rep. Like I can tell you the 20 logos. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really cool because sometimes what we'll see is there's an account where there's a lot of engagement. We use different tools to look at that. And then it's like, hey, the salesperson, you probably need to reach out again. But conversely, and this is what's really cool, we'll see where there's an account that they're interested in and there's no engagement. And so then it's like marketing, hey, what can you do to start to create some engagement in that account? And so that way it's like we're in it together. It's not just like one group or the other. So I was going to ask you, how do you measure marketing success? Like, what do you report on in that world? And is it engagement? My answer to that question is it depends on who you're talking to, right? And so I think that people right now have gone really crazy on I equate it to like a 747 where you could measure so many things, but most of us couldn't get in a 747 and fly, <laughs> at least right. unless, unless you have a pilot's license. So I try to do two things. I think within the marketing team, I will look at a lot, right? I'll look at how are we doing for meetings? How are we doing for opportunities? How are we doing with engagement across the board? We look at customer accounts as well, too. I even look at like our website traffic, all of those metrics. But when I'm working with sales leaders or the board, I'm generally reporting out on our meeting trends, our pipeline, and then our expansion in accounts that we're continuing to grow with it. <laughs> Isn't it funny, by the way, like how much stuff you think of as a marketer, but then when it comes to the board and sales, it's always meetings and pipeline. Like It, it is. It <laughs> that's is. it. 
It's it. And it's funny because sometimes I, I get a little spicy and I'll throw in some other facts. And I always am interested to see what people are interested in or pay attention to. And I think this is actually something for the marketers listening. We need to speak in terms to that are more inclusive. Like, you know how like in technology, the more jargon somebody speaks, you're sort of like, what are you talking about? Like, sure. why can't you just say it in normal language? Yeah. Well, I mean, marketers are guilty of this too. So I think the more that we can be inclusive and we're not like MQL, um, I say, oh, like, hey, this is what we're thinking about. We're really thinking about our customers, the story we're telling with our brand, engaging people, and really creating a pipeline for the sales team. Like, I think if we can speak more clearly, it might be also a helpful thing. Well, like an MQL is different. Your MQL is different than mine, so it doesn't even matter. It's not apples to apples. How do you measure the efforts of marketing? Is it every marketing thing is based on did we book a meeting? Like, how do you measure it? Because you got 20 accounts, named accounts. This takes longer time. How do I go into your team? I'm a person on your team, and I feel like, Heidi, you're my boss. I know my goal. I'm making progress toward that goal You know, every week. every. How do you actually track that in ABM? For, for me, yeah. it's easy. It's press the traffic button and you get more trials, right? Yeah, and it's great. I mean, that's the cool thing about a model like that. You could say, yep, we're doing well or we're not. But I'll answer that in this way. Like I have my org grouped into product marketing and I have customer marketing sitting in that team right now. Then I have corporate marketing and then I have sort of our demand gen group, which also has ABM. Think of it as just demand in general. And I think for each of those groups, we look at different things. Like I think in product marketing, ideally product marketers, like is your story resonating? Like can people talk about what Telium does or is it exciting? Are we able to see a faster velocity in the sales cycle? There's a lot of different things that I'll evaluate product marketing on versus say corporate marketing. It's like, you know, how are we doing as far as like, to me, like social, are we seeing great engagement there? Do people know who we are? And then like, obviously on the demand gen and ABM side, it's a little bit easier. And of course, everything's going to roll up to a few simple metrics, but those individuals, they play really important roles and they should be looked at a little bit differently. And a good product marketer to me is an incredible storyteller. Like I have this saying I got from a great person at Marketo and it's, you really have to win the battle of not only the mind, but the hearts of people, right? And a good product marketer does that. But so measuring them purely on pipeline, it's like, eh, I mean, that's a great end metric, but it's like, there's other ways, more granular ways to look at it too. Okay. This is a good transition because you went to talk about your team. I want to come back to the goals in a little bit, but All right, so your team set up right now, you have you and then you have three chunks of marketing, product marketing, corporate marketing, and demand gen. Let's start with demand gen. So how do you have this set up with like, because you got two funnels, right? You have inbound and ABM. So just talk about what's a setup of demand gen with ABM and the inbound stuff. This has worked really well for me. I have my demand gen organization broken up into really where I would say it's more of a SMB team and then an enterprise team. Got it. And the SMB team, like they kind of do a lot of more of the more velocity, you know, kind of more rapid plays, if you think about it that way. And then the enterprise team runs more of like the field marketing and the ABM types of programs. And then basically I will have centers of excellence that really support kind of both groups. Like digital, you're going to need that in both of those groups. You're going to need marketing ops in both of those groups, content in both of those groups. But I find that that works well because somebody that loves SEO and digital, they may not be the person that's like, I love field marketing. And so I think that that has worked well. And right now I feel like it's scaling and I'm pretty happy with that. Got it. So I like how you called it centers of excellence. So you might have a demand gen person who's responsible for ABM and they go work with the SEO person 
the SEO exactly. person is the specialist and, and then same way that the SMB person. So they each kind of both have to be able to, that SEO person is going to be an expert in SEO, but has to be able to think to SMB and enterprise and they work with each other that way. Yes. And I expect those leaders to give them that direction too, yeah. right? Like I don't expect an SEO person to be like, oh, I'm an expert in everything. It's our job to help that. Do you have a digital person, like someone who's running all your paid that yes. sits in the same position? Yes, they're basically the center of excellence as well. So we might have, just to get granular, maybe we have pay-per-click campaigns that we know are really, really good for a smaller business segment. And then maybe what we would do for a larger enterprise, we might have a different content offer, different language, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. If I'm the demand gen person, I'm looking at and say, okay, here's what I got to generate next month. We got to get more out of paid. So I'm going to go sit down with a digital person and say, hey, I got more budget. What could we do? Like, And you're kind of negotiating the plan that way. Exactly. Yeah. And start to see like different business units, like their velocity is different. Like you can imagine like an enterprise deal could take eight months. So there's going to be tactics that we'd say, yeah, that's going to work well at these times. And then maybe if it's like end of the quarter, this happens for a lot of people, you get extra budget, spend it in two days. That may be more beneficial to an SMB <laughs> team because they're more <laughs> rapid velocity. I'm sure people have all that had just that happened happen. to me today. Two oh, days. <laughs> Today, I got an email from our CFO. Hey, what would you do with an additional X thousand dollars a month, you know, the next two months? I'm like, a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and your answer is take it. (laughs) My answer is spend it. Let's call up Facebook and see what we can do. I really like that like Topo has this, the double funnel. I think a lot of modern companies have that approach now where you have, you know, some set of named accounts. It could be a thousand, it could be a hundred, and you're also doing, you know, the high volume inbound. I, I love it. Right, right. And I think for a lot of, especially B2B organizations, you you really probably are going to need both. And I think just setting the team up in a structure that supports that, because again, people can't be experts at everything. And I think I had things structured like that at Marketo too, and it worked really well. Who owns a website? I actually have it on the demand gen team. Yeah. I have the corporate marketing team providing a lot to that. As an example, like we want to make sure like it's, you know, we're telling the right story, et cetera, like the brand's there. But I think at the end of the day, and this is true for a lot of companies, if you really think about what the website's supposed to do, just like with anything, there's a few set goals and it's not 50. <laughs> and it's really like, who are you? Why do I care? And how can I really learn more and kind of take a next step? And we really want those next steps to be as seamless as possible. And I think a lot of demand gen marketers, they're going to think about those little steps. It's such an important thing. And I found that when it sits in corporate, and this is just my experience, you have this beautiful site, a lot on it. It looks great, but it's missing a lot of opportunities to really ultimately drive that conversion. And if you're in a business like yours where that conversion's everything, yeah, you need people that think and breathe that every second of the day. It's almost like product marketing and corporate own it as a product, you know, the story and design, but demand gen owns it as a channel. Yeah. And the mechanics, it's almost like with product marketing, it's like, we have this great, you know, product launch. Well, I want to know why is this product interesting? What's the story? What are the capabilities? But then the demand gen team is the one that needs to figure out, okay, here's what our goal is for this. We need to generate, you know, 40 million in revenue. This is our plan for the year. That should come from demand. Yeah, and opinion. 100%. How do you set goals within that team? Do you do OKRs? What's your system? Yeah. So I do use OKRs. And the reason I like them is because I find that a lot of organizations, like their goals or their missions, like they, people kind of muddle everything together and terminology gets really confusing. And I think 
OKRs, if they're used really well, you kind of can have this very simple set of kind of goals for the organization. Like in, on my team, I'm like, look, our number one thing this year is to really help grow the business. And that's going to be a combination of net new and expansion. And then we have these set initiatives underneath it. And then each of those teams, they're going to contribute to those initiatives. And then we know if they're doing well or not. And a great analogy with an OKR is like, hey, you need to fly to Florida. And you're either on track for that flight to Florida if you're in Texas by a certain time or you're not. And that's what people need to know, because what you see happen at a lot of companies, it's like we're supposed to be in Florida, but the plane's not even off the ground in California. We've got a problem. (laughs) And so I think that the key is keeping OKRs simple. I'm not a huge believer in people need like 50. (laughs) That gets a little bit nuts. But I think if you keep it simple and you meet with people frequently on them, they work really well. Do you use software for it? Just do them yourself in Google Sites? I just do do them myself. Yeah, I I use Google Sheets. (laughs) Would you say that most people, should the bias be towards like, if the marketing goal is new MRR and expansion MRR, most of the big goals should be around those things. And you might have like supporting, you know, smaller things like redesign, whatever that support it. One of the things that people can think about is putting in some personal goals in there as well. So you can have a set of business goals, but then maybe a few that are personal for people as well too. Like, I want to become a better speaker or I want to go create an amazing podcast or something. And if it benefits the business, great, but then it makes it more personal and engaging for people as well. And I like doing that. I think it's important. Then you bake in career growth, personal development into the OKRs. Yes. I like that. What's your rhythm as a marketing leader? How often do you meet as a team? Do you do daily standups? What are all the things you all do? Yeah. So we have a weekly team meeting that is global. So I have the challenge of having a team that's in Australia and Japan, and then also in just outside of London. So getting that time is a little tricky, but I do like to have a team meeting every week. And then I try to have one-on-ones with everyone every week. It's easier now because we're not traveling as much. And then let's see, I think those are the main ones. And then we obviously have different functional meetings throughout the week as well, too. So we have a demand gen meeting. We have a product marketing meeting just to ensure that everybody's kind of on track there. So that cadence is good. Are you in those meetings? Like, are you in the demand gen meeting or you let them happen or... I do my best to attend as much as I can, but then I also have found, this is something I've been working on, is also just stepping back a little bit because I want the people that run those functions to feel like the owner. And I think if you're, you know, it's almost like if your CEO is in every meeting you're in, it's kind of weird. (laughs) And then it also doesn't really support scale. So I'd say I pop in if I feel there's something important I want to convey or understand. But in general, a lot of those I try to just let happen on their own. Yeah, that's good. That's my worst habit by far. Yeah, it's hard. And I think if you're somebody that likes to know all the details, it's you want to be in there and it's exciting. But at some point, I think it is good to let people have that independence. I would say that my management style is, hey, Heidi, you own the plan. You got it. And then I'm also like, I want to know the letter, the <laughs> capitalization that you use in the email that goes out Tuesday. I, look, I, I think it's a gift and a curse because sometimes I've worked with people that are just way out in the clouds and don't ever know what's going on. And sometimes you got to get in there. Personally, it's just not my personality to be like that. Because at the end of the day, it's you, right? The buck stops with you, so you should know what's going on. So It is. It's your kitchen. You better be tasting some of the you know, soups yeah. as they're coming by. Yeah, that pizza better be awesome. <laughs> okay, so what do you do in the team meeting? 
one of the things that we do is we will have like the leaders will have kind of key topic areas. Like as an example, we just launched a definitive guide around CDPs. And so it's like, we'll go through maybe the project plan for that. Some of the goals, if it's a product launch, we'll go through that. And what's nice is we have people sign up for the meeting and they have key topics. So another one might be the website and how are we doing with SEO or, and it's nice because one of the things I like about people driving their part of it, it's not on you as the leader. Like I think the more independence that you can give people is a good thing. And then they have to create the presentation and then they're the owner. And I think something that I really always try to get people to think about is you're the owner of your piece and you own this business. I think sometimes when you're not like the leader, people are always like, well, so-and-so Dave will catch it. He'll get the typo. He'll find the thing. I always tell people, imagine I'm not looking at it and you want to be proud of it. It goes out into the world. It better be perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's the way you grow as a marketer too, is like when you realize you have full responsibility of this thing. I I had this realization the other day. I spent my day like creating decks and sending out agendas and like doing a budget. And I was like, I'm not at all any part of this. I'm literally sending out the deck and saying, hey, input your stuff. Like I'm the basically the organizer of the Zoom call. That's half of my job. Yeah. But I think it's also, you know, like your job to see that that Zoom call goes well and that Zoom call happens. And that's really equally important. It just kind of evolves. Mm, Yeah. You got to make people talk, make discussion. If it's not, it's your job to make it happen. Yeah. It's your job to challenge people. I, I mean, sometimes I think I'm in meetings and well, do we think that's a good plan? Like, I think it's good to sometimes push on people a little bit and see their conviction. I think that's a really good thing. No, I believe in this. I think it's great. I'm trying to ultimately get folks to the place that, you know, if I got hit by a bus, we'd be just fine. I mean, I think that's a good leader. A good leader will do that, right? You should be able to step out and things can run and operate, but you have to really ramp people up and get them to the place where that can happen. Some leaders don't really do that. It's like, you know, they leave the business and everyone's like uh, lost little puppies flying, going all over. And then you don't want that. You want your team to just, they've got it. Yeah. Makes you easily replaceable too, as a boss. Well, there's a lot out there. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're right. I guess you're right. What's your breakdown for direct reports? Like how many people are on the overall team and then who reports to you? People want to know this for some reason. They're obsessed about who reports to who and people love this question. I was listening to your podcast with Gong and it's interesting because a lot of CFOs, I think they're very much like, this is the number of people you get. And I think everyone's always trying to understand like, what's your team size? Like, how do you do it? So yeah, I mean, we're a global company. So I have just over 30 people. And I would say that as a percentage of the total of our company, it's fair. I don't think it's like, whoa, we're swimming in people. (laughs) And I think like my perspective on that is, I've always worked in organizations where the team has leaned on the, a little bit on the leader side, even at Marketo. I think for everything we had to do, it never felt like, wow, I just have so many headcount. This is amazing. I think it's good. I think it keeps people sharp and hungry. And as a business, again, if we have our business hat on, we want costs to be, we don't want it to be excessive. So I feel like it's a very fair size. Yeah, you could always use more. I always want more. Always use more. 30? That's a big team. What's the breakdown of that team? How many direct reports do you have? So I try to keep my direct reports. And part of this is because I want to give other people those opportunities. I don't need everyone reporting to me. So I have a leader that is an APJ that reports to me. I have my EMEA leader that reports to me. And then in the US, I have the leader of demand gen and then product marketing and corporate comms. So that's a lot. 
Yeah, it's not too bad. I feel like I talk to some people and they're like, I have 10 direct reports or like 20. And that is, I think, a really tough thing because again, like our jobs are really to to provide clarity and support and you have all your other meetings and you still have work to do. I think it's, I always want to make sure I don't shortchange people because I think you kind of alluded to it earlier. If you've ever worked for somebody where you've been shortchanged or like you don't get a lot from that person, I think that made an impact on me early in my job, early in my career. I never wanted to be that kind of a person. People matter a lot. And it's like, that's something that's important to me. So how often do you meet with everybody? Like what's the system? Once a week. Yeah. So everybody gets a one-on-one once a week. And you have more than six direct reports. So you're doing at least one a day. Do you have any strategy around like when you stack them or no? The answer is I wish I did, but I think as an example, Amia is always early. APJ is always late. (laughs) So I have those on Tuesday. And then I think the other one-on-ones I try to do Friday as much as possible because then I have a lot of other meetings throughout the day. So, Got it. How do you do uh, performance reviews and career ladder? And I know you have one because you helped me with some yes. thoughts, but like, do you have a documented career progression thing that you go through with teams? I do. And part of why I've done that is because how many companies have you worked for where that doesn't happen? And I think it's tough because I think there's some people that push a lot with their manager and they're like, I really want this particular path. And then there's people that that I see a lot and, and often, you know, maybe they're not as vocal about it, but they should still have that equal chance in my view. So I think it's good to have sort of, you know, uh, levels that highlight, you know, this is your title. This is kind of the things we expect out of that title. And you're either doing those or not. And I'll give you an example. It could be marketing manager, right? A simple title. And there's certain things that that person should be able to do. And you can have different categories. My document has this where you should be able to run a certain amount of technology as a marketer. You should be able to, you know, maybe run POs and a purchase process. You should be able to run a meeting and lead a program as an example. And then the further up you get, you know, you should be cross-departmental. You should be able to run an entire plan, own a budget. And so I think that a lot of the time people only look at like one facet and they're like, well, I'm doing this. Why am I not advancing? But then if you show them those other areas, I think that's a really good thing to do. Yeah. And your scorecard, like, you need to have that. I've fallen in the trap of not having that. And so like, it's really hard to have a productive discussion with somebody on your team about why they can or can't take the next step if you don't have the like, well, you don't do these three things right now, right? That's right. You have to have that. And and I would just tell people, if you don't have it, it's okay, but just you can do it now. (laughs) Dave and I both said you should probably have that. And I think one other thing I'll throw out that works, I think, is when you have your one-on-ones, I like to have one one-on-one every month that then is more like a deeper dive. And that's really where you can discuss career progression and less of the tactical things. So maybe, you know, the other weeks, it's more of the tactical things. But then once a month, it's like, hey, how do you feel like you're tracking towards these larger goals? Do you have feedback for me? I have feedback for you. And I'm sure you've read The Feedback Imperative. I mean, it's a great book, but I personally have a pet peeve where people do performance reviews like once a year and they're like, here's the feedback. And you're like, that was yeah. five months ago. <laughs> right, I'm right. a different person or I don't even remember that. It, it or like really- I had to wait for a year for you to tell me you don't like me a year. Yeah. Right. It's not good. And so I think giving feedback, you know, in a constructive way more frequently is a very good thing. And that's how people get better. Yeah, I agree. I actually just made a note to myself. I got to tighten this up. Now's the time to do it, right? Q4 heading into next year. Yeah. People are going to, January is when everyone's going to want to know where they're at, what the right. futures look like. And I think just like good marketing, right? You got to get ahead of 
any objections or whatever. And so you should just try to have more of those conversations. That's right. Or give people a chance to get better. Cause sometimes I think people, all of us, right. All of us have things that we're maybe not aware of. And I think when somebody can say constructively, you know, this is great, but you might want to think about X, Y, Z next time you run a meeting. That's just such an important thing in our roles to, to do. Yeah. How do you get to your marketing budget? How do you come up with it? Does the CFO just say, Heidi, here's the budget. Like you said, here's your 10 heads. How do you come up with it? Yeah, it's a discussion. So I I think where we, and this is how I've seen it done. This is what we did at Marketo. This is how I've seen it done at a lot of companies where you basically have your growth goals. You have, you know, really where you want your revenue to end up at the end of the year. And then marketing is some percentage of that. I think Gartner released some CMO report that said, you know, most marketing groups get about, I think, 10% of revenue. That's kind of a good benchmark. I've been at companies where it's much higher than that. Like I can say Marketo was a lot higher than that because again, it's a marketing solution. You're marketing to marketers, hyper growth company. And then other organizations, I think they're maybe a little more conservative with CAC and they, they want to watch that. But I think that typically it's a discussion with your CFO. And I think it's interesting too, because there might be different objectives for where the size of the company, right? Like depending, maybe you're like 10 million ARR and you're trying to get to that next level, you may need to invest a little more to drive that growth or maybe you're at a hundred million error and you're like, hey, we're kind of cooking with gas. We've got our product market fit and we're fine cruising along at a certain growth level. So it depends on a lot of things. I hope no one out there just has their CFO hand them a number and they call it a day. Like it should definitely be a discussion because they're probably reading, you know, the Pacific Crest survey <laughs> and saying, here's the number. That's what you should do. Um, yeah, this is the super conservative benchmark. We have a thousand person companies. You only have five marketers. Right. Exactly. So I know it's a tough thing for a lot of people. I'd say getting heads in your budget, those are always rough. But I think when you can start showing that growth and that value, then they start, you become a trusted partner. And I think that that's something everyone should think about doing. It's like, hey, if you give me X, I can get you Y. And the minute people really start seeing that, some of those budget conversations get a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because it is all related. I used to roll my eyes at this type of stuff, but like it's all related, (laughs) right? The clearer goals you set to the company plan, the more people expect what they're going to, you know, they know what you're going to get out of marketing, the clearer goals you have for your team, the better attribution and ops setup that you have foundation, right? It's easier to budget. I haven't been there, but it's probably easier to budget at a hundred million dollar proven flywheel company because you know what channels, you know, you got to focus on. I think the hard budget is like when you're asked to make a big jump and you actually have no, I don't know, we've never done that before. Right, right. And I will say, you know, that's a lot of people out there. I don't know many companies that are like, here's the perfect data set. And like, it's almost like when people are like, yeah, our our data in Salesforce, it's like, we just need it cleaner. Yes. Who doesn't say that? Everyone says that. So I think people also have to appreciate like a lot of this stuff is, it's good guidance, but it's not necessarily hard, perfect math. I think it's almost like attribution. It's great guidance. Like it gives you a sense, like you said earlier, your CFO is like, hey, if I give you X more, where would you put it? You should be directionally accurate, but it's not a perfect science. So that's why I hate budget (laughs) categories. Like I know like, hey, this category for 2021 is called content production. And that includes video, podcast, blog, but then they want to get really specific and it's too much. Right. I have a question as advice for me. Am I wrong for thinking I always just want to get more budget? Like as long as I'm proving that I can hit the revenue number, like I'll take more budget sure. if we can do I mean, stuff with it. 
And especially again, like depending where your company is and if you're seeing that growth and it's getting better and better, yes, is the answer to that. I think sometimes people are very conservative and they kind of like, sometimes things really line up nicely, meaning there's interest in the market. You've got a lot of things going in your direction and you can't guarantee that's going to be like that in three or four years, right? Companies that are successful, it's a, a real combination of you know, having a lot of the right things at the right time. And you know this, you've seen it, right? And you miss that timing. Like I've seen companies, they're just a little early that the concept is great, but it's early. And so I think if you're seeing the results, yeah, putting more money into that is good. And the CFO can say like, well, it's just like a stock portfolio. I mean, seriously, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, to me, it is just a stock portfolio. That's how I think of marketing tactics as well. It's like, look, I'm going to put as much in the channels. I'm seeing the best return, but guess what? Like at some point there's a point of diminishing returns and I need to invest in other areas. Yeah. And at some point you got to be the one to take a crazy bet on Tesla or Apple, right? Or Amazon. That's right. And I'd rather be the kind of marketer that takes some bets and is a little bit more bold. As long as I'm like, you know, I'm thoughtful about it. I'm not reckless. I mean, I'd rather be a little bit bold and try versus be so conservative that you just miss the boat on everything. Yeah. What are the biggest marketing challenges you have at Telium? So an example might be like, well, we work for a cybersecurity company. And so like people don't give us our, you know, email addresses. Like, do you have a specific challenge to you? Yeah, I would say a big challenge for me. There's two that I feel like come up often. And I think this is one you can probably relate to. I think as a marketer today, there is so much that you have to be knowledgeable about. And I think finding people that are these kind of like unicorn hires that are like, hey, I'm great on social. And oh, then I can go create a, a program in Marketo or HubSpot. Oh, and then I can go do this other thing. I think that has set the bar really high. And I think hiring talented people is probably one of my biggest challenges because again, like it's hard to find people that are very, I think, kind of like diverse and can do a lot of things and are passionate and care. And I guess for better or for worse, I have a pretty high bar. So I think the hiring great talent's always one of those that's up there. That's one. And then I think another one that's challenging is people in a lot of these companies have a preconception of what marketing's kind of what our swim lanes are. And sometimes you're like, no, 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 like that's actually for you to do. Or I think there's sometimes a lack of clarity where certain roles kind of blend together. Again, you could say that's on me to get that figured out. And I'm definitely trying, but I think a lot of folks have worked at another company and they come into a role thinking, well, marketing, you guys are only the ones that do this. And I'm like, no, we actually do customer marketing. That's an example. (laughs) I'm a huge believer in marketing needs to drive customer marketing. It shouldn't just be like, hey, that's Mark off in the corner doing it. (laughs) It's like you need a team, you need to invest there. So Yeah, and honestly, that's like the gift and the curse of marketing, right? Like it's such a fun job because you get to be parts of everything, but then you go to a company and it's like, well, you kind of own the website, so you might help the recruiting team with this page or whatever. But I also think like that's unique to each company. And to what you said is really important. A lot of people just have this historical like debt. Oh, at my last company, ops did this. And at this, you know, oh, when this person who was no longer here anymore did that. You got to forget that part of it. You got to forget it. But I I will tell you and like people listening, it's like it's our jobs to be really clear on that. Like, so when I came in, I'm like, so here's what marketing owns and here's what we're not going to do. Like, I was very clear about like, these are things we're just not going to do. Because again, like I felt there were other people that were capable. And I think that a lot of people forget about the value and importance of internal marketing. They always think external, external, like my customers, all this stuff. But it's our jobs as marketers to 
gosh, spend just as much time there and making sure people are clear on what you're doing, clear on what your team's doing, the value, what you own, what you don't own. Because again, you, you see people and they're like, well, I worked at you know company X for 15 years and that's how they did it. And you're like, well, no, <laughs> that's not how we do it. Yeah. Okay. Those are good challenges. Reasonable. I think people will have some of them. Do you work with any agencies? If so, like what do they do for you? Yeah, I do work with agencies. I think agencies are great because I think that there's times in marketing where you have a lot more to do and then other times where it might, I don't know, I can't think of anywhere that I've worked where it's slowed down. But yeah, sometimes you have a lot on your plate and I like using agencies to scale design. That's an area that I think it can be very, very valuable as long as you find a good designer and you trust them and they can do great work. I use agencies for some of our PR. You sometimes need more reach. And there are people that think about it all day and that's their expertise. And then I also at times have used agencies to scale up our marketing operations when we need it. Because sometimes there's a big project, like it's the lead source cleanup. (laughs) And that's one of the projects that people are like, it's not sexy. I don't care. Why are we doing it? But it's like having good plumbing in your house. Like you just got to do it. I think those are some areas I think agencies are awesome. Okay, give me a rundown of some of the tools that you're using. People also love this part. They love MarTech. So what are the tools and tech that you're using at Telium? Yeah, so I have kind of the classic stack that's not going to shock a lot of people. We're Salesforce users. We have Marketo. We are using Sixth Sense for intent and having some really good success with that. We use Drift. We're big fans of Drift and having great success there. We obviously use Telium. That's something that we're using more and more and, and having some really great success with as well. We use Rollworks. That's been a really good tool for us to do some more targeted advertising. I think those are a lot of the main ones. We use Lean Data for our lead to account matching. We use Outreach. The list goes on probably. It's kind of like back to your challenges. I mean, it's just, there's so much. And I think a lot of CFOs, they're like, wow, you really need all this? And it's like, gosh, you want me to be a modern marketer? Yeah, I do. And then you have this fear of like, I just had this thought like, this is not a call for salespeople, but do I need to be getting more <laughs> demos? Do I need to be seeing more stuff? Like, you know, if I have a small team and, and a limited budget, like is technology an advantage? And I, it's almost like another person. It's a whole unit of people. It is a unit of people, but this is what I would tell you on that. And it's something that I struggle with all the time. It's okay to say not right now. And maybe next year as you get bigger and grow, maybe then evaluate another tool. And as you get yeah. bigger, then maybe it doesn't all have to be today. And I think that's what a lot of people need to keep in mind because you know this well in MarTech, like with any technology, you need somebody that owns it and can think about it. And if you see all the companies that have tech that's poorly used, it's like a waste of money. So it doesn't have to be all right now. Yeah. And the worst part about that, that's wasted money. You're mostly going to buy an annual subscription. You're not going to get that back to put it in the program budget. You won't recover it. So I I think it's important to not get talked into things before you need them. Because a lot of, I mean, again, it depends on the size of company you are, what you're trying to do. Good advice. If you could magically solve any one marketing problem, what would it be? So for me, like I wish I could get email and social security number. I'm just going to email addresses for every podcast <laughs> listener. Like what would yours be? Oh gosh, I have so many. It's like, I feel like it's its own podcast. Give me one that's been like legacy. Like one that, you know. that drives me crazy is just like when people talk about poor data and all the problems it causes. So like sales can't do things because the data is bad in Salesforce or it's not current or we're sending direct mail, but the addresses aren't updated. That just continues to be an area that is so hard to keep. Every company ever. 
And I don't care where anyone works. It's not perfect. And I mean, even if you have somebody that, you know, is an Upwork person that's cleaning it all the time, it just, it continues to be a a very, very challenging thing, especially with a lot of the privacy pieces that are, you know, coming out. I'd say that. And then I would also say just a lot of the MarTech tools we use, I just sometimes wish they were a little easier. So that way you didn't have to hire somebody who's like, I have 10 years experience doing X (laughs) because you can't always do that. I wish that more of these tools would test on real marketers and get a sense that marketers are very smart, but they're very busy and no one has time to learn, you know, crazy software all the time. So And I'll throw one more in there too. I I do think attribution over time could get a bit easier. I think still a lot of people battle with that and feel a real need to prove every little piece. Right. And that I think can be exhausting and time consuming for companies. And you see people spending more time doing that than marketing. And you're like losing sight of your job. (laughs) Well, well, that's usually related to like internal battles. The revenue is still there. If you were the only person at the company, you wouldn't be worrying about attribution. That's right. Okay, how do you tell your family what you do? You got girls. How do you explain your job to them? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So it's funny. They listen to me on all the calls all the time. They're like, wow, you're really loud. (laughs) I think the way I explain it is as a marketing person, I am solving people's problems and telling a story in a way they understand. Mm, I like it. Didn't mention marketing. Didn't mention sales. No. Didn't mention computers. A lot of people say that they tell people they work with computers. Yeah. Then you're like, are you a coder? Or do you work at you know yeah. Apple? What is that? No, I, I think a good marketer knows people real well. And I think they're observant. And I think if you understand your buyer's challenges and, and you can come across and tell a story in a way that they can consume, I think a lot about consumption. I just so, say, have you ever seen Mad Men? It's like that, but with the yeah. internet. Yeah. And maybe less cocktails during the day. Maybe way less. <laughs> well, now I work from home. So it's, you know, I don't know. The, yeah. the jury's out of that. Okay. Last question. Give me one. You can only pick one. One other marketing leader, CMO, doesn't matter. Who should I have on? Oh, who should you have on? I think you should have on Joe Chernoff. Joe, you know what? I really want to have Joe on. I love Joe. He's spicy. And I'm close with him and I've had him on every podcast like I've ever done. And so I've only not had him on because I wanted to wait. I'll give you another one. Megan Eisenberg. Megan too. Yeah. Good one. Okay. Those are two good ones. Heidi, this was great. Exactly what this podcast should be. I'm sure the ratings and reviews, which you should be leaving if you're listening to this, will be off the charts. Stay safe on the West Coast. I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content, I have a whole lot more where that came from. It's in my private marketing group called DGMG. There's almost 2,000 members in there. 80% of them are B2B marketers. And it's been an amazing community that we launched over a year ago. Uh, I've already posted over 400 different types of content in there, articles, videos, blogs, podcasts. You can go and check it all out. Patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. It's an amazing place to be. Plus, I do exclusive AMAs with these podcast guests in our group. And it's the only place I post the full transcript and show notes. So you might want to go check it out. Patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. I also want to give a shout out and a thank you to our friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing at usehatch.fm. It's awesome. They're helping me with the show. It's why it sounds so great. And you should go and check it out too. See you on the next episode.